been a bit of a crazy week in the world of social media. Here's some stuff that was said about my friends on Facebook this week when it comes to the topic of marriage. Get a life. Let others decide who they wish to commit to. End of story. Number two, just accept that social and cultural norms change. Maybe you should think twice about posting this opinionated stuff on FB, Facebook. Number three, so you don't hate them, however, you're happy to deprive them of their rights based on archaic beliefs. That's like old beliefs. You and the rest of your church are everything that is wrong with the world. Wow, okay. Now, the world has gone a little bit crazy over the last uh, few months, really, over this question of... What is marriage? That question sits at a lot like the middle of a whole bunch of chaos. Now, I want to say straight away, this is not a talk on same-sex marriage and whether it's right or wrong or anything like that. That's not what we're doing tonight. If you want to hear a talk about that issue, um, the lead pastor from EV Church, Andrew Hurd, did an excellent talk on it just last weekend gone by. So you can find that online if you want to check that out yourself. That's not what we're doing tonight. But tonight we are going to dig into the topic of marriage, not so we can get on Facebook and be a keyboard warrior, but so that we can appreciate the incredible gift of what marriage is, and so that we can answer some pretty important questions for our lives, some big questions for our lives. Should you get married? Should you get married? If you do, well, who should you marry? What's the deal with dating? How does that fit in with marriage? All those questions are the kind of thing we're going to dig into tonight. So this is going to be a really important question, because I want to say, guys... That question of, you know, should you get married, if so, who, that, that kind of question, I reckon, is probably the most significant decision and question you'll tackle this side of heaven outside of, will I follow Jesus or not? So aside from, am I going to be a follower of Jesus or not, I don't reckon many questions will impact your life as much as the question of, will you get married, and if you do, to who? This is a big deal. I think sometimes we kind of just stumble through life and stuff just happens and suddenly we're married and we're like, oh, I don't know how that happened, but cool. But this is a really, really big deal. It'll shape the rest of your life, this question. All right, here's the first big thing I want us to see tonight. It comes right out of Genesis 2, which Vince read wonderfully for us a second ago. Here it is. Marriage is a good gift from God. It's a good gift. God designed it and He gave it to us for our good. Now, the context in Genesis 2 here is that God's been making good stuff. He's been making a whole bunch of good stuff. He made good land and God said it was good. He made trees and God said it was good. He made fish and birds and animals and they were called good. Chapter 1, verse 31, it says that everything that had been made was good. But then something bad happens in verse 18, chapter 2. Check it out. This is meant to clang. Everything's good, everything's good, everything's good. Verse 18, then the Lord, the Lord God said... It's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. First, not good thing in all of creation. The man is alone and he's with God and yet he still says he's alone and that's not good. So what happens next? You read it before, just a second. There's like this animal parade thing that happens where he's like, oh, we've got to find you a partner and they bring past the animals one by one and Adam's like, no, not quite. The giraffe seems friendly, but I don't think I want to marry it still. And none of them seem to cut it. And so verse 20 says, for Adam, no suitable helper was found. And so in response to the man's need, God does something amazing. He makes a partner for the man. She's made of the same stuff as him. 
It's incredible. It's not like God just kind of whips out the blueprints for Adam and is like, I've made one of these human things before, I'll just make another Adam. You'll be into the same sports and the same Netflix shows, it's going to be great. No, no. He makes someone like him, but different. He makes a woman. They're made of the same stuff, made in the image of God, but she's different. Look at verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he'd taken out of the man, and he brought it to the man. Freshly made woman to meet man, it's time to meet each other. The man's pretty happy. He's really happy. It's almost as if they've been made for each other, right? So verse 23, here's the man's song. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called, should be called, shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. He's very happy. Long story short, his song says, I'm happy, we're going to get on well. Man likes woman, woman likes man. It's really, really good. Now, notice the next thing that happens. Up to now, we've kind of been reading what's a story. It's just describing this happened. There was a man, there was a woman. Here's what God did. But then it's like the author kind of chimes in in verse 24. The author turns up and he's like, hey, let me tell you what's going on here. He says, verse 24, all this stuff, you know, man was made, woman was made, they were made for each other, different but similar. All of this, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. And Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So all this creation stuff, making the man, making the woman, making them different, complementary, similar equal but different, all of that gender is so that this thing called marriage exists in verse 24 and 25. So here's the the first thing, at a baseline level, in the Bible, marriage was designed for the purpose of a man and a woman to be united together. It's the nature of what marriage is in the Bible. God made our bodies biologically different. God gave us genders So gender isn't a social construct. It's not something that people just made up one day and was like, how about we have boys and girls? And we're like, all right, let's stick with that. No, it's not a social construct. It's a God construct. God made gender. And anyone who disagrees with that, the fact is they're going to have to spend the rest of their lives fighting their own body's biology. They're going to need medicine and surgery and all sorts of things if they want to try and make themselves into something that their biology says is different. Gender is a God construct. Second, marriage is a good and right place for sex. It's a good and right place for sex. Verse 24 isn't just saying when it says, you know, they, um, they become one flesh. That's not just like they become besties, they're attached to the hip from now on. No, no, it's, it's I don't know how to say this without grossing you guys out, but basically their bodies get like smooshed together, all right, in sex. They become, they were two flesh and now they're one flesh because they've had sex. That's what verse 24 is saying, and it's a beautiful and good thing, so you don't have to be grossed out. Now, as a quick aside, I want to say this as well. What this means is, sex isn't like this um, awkward, accidental thing, that naughty thing that humans kind of discovered after God made us, like God makes us perfect and good, and he's kind of watching down from heaven, and he's like, what are they taking off their clothes for? What are they doing down there? Hey, don't touch each other like, hey, stop that! That's... That's not how sex came about. God made it. He designed it. He's not anti-sex. God made it. And and Christians aren't anti-sex either. God is not out to spoil your fun. He's not a buzzkill. He made sex. It's a good gift from God. 
but he makes it for the context of marriage. Now, there's a lot more that um, we're going to say a bunch about more about sex next week. We've got a whole talk on sex, so look forward to that. My gut is either like no one's going to come because you're afraid, or lots of you come because you're like, hey, you're talking sex. We'll see what happens, all right? <laughs> we're going to do that next week. Um, there's a lot more I wish we could just cover really quickly about marriage because there's so much to see, but I don't have time for the detail, but you've got to catch this. Marriage is where children should be born and raised. That's one of the purposes of marriage in chapter one. Marriage is a lifelong commitment. So you leave your father and mother and you make a new family forever. You don't just start over again in a year's time. It's a lifelong commitment. We don't have time to nail all that down right now. But let me sum up this section like this. I'll give you an illustration. Uh, Let's talk about iPhones. This week, the iPhone X or 10 or whatever it should be, it's confusing. It should be an 8, right? But it's an X. iPhone X. Uh, got kind of revealed. It's going to cost like 16,000, no, 1,600, whoa, 16,000. <laughs> Do you want a car or a phone? No, $1,600, which is insane. Harry this week said, I'm selling my kidney so I can buy an iPhone, so if anyone needs a kidney, help Harry out, sell it. Sweet, man, that's good, that's, that's really good. But anyway, imagine this, imagine you were cashed up for some reason, like none of us have got this much money, but imagine you did and you bought an iPhone 10 and you're like, I can give this to my grandpa. Grandpa would love an iPhone 10, And so you wrap it up and you give it to him and in the card you write, Grandpa, this is a very expensive phone, so make sure you read the instruction book written by the Apple people very carefully uh, because it's expensive, you want to use it right. And your grandpa gets it and this is not an iPhone 10, but he gets it and he's like, ugh, this is very good, but he's old school, right? Doesn't like technology, doesn't like listening to stupid instruction books and he's like, I'm not going to read a manual. I know how to use a... I know what this is. I, I know what this is. This is a tiny glass chopping board. And so he's got his tiny glass chopping board and he's making like salads on it. And he's getting chicken juice in the speaker. And, and then he's like, oh, I'm finished with my chopping board. Chuck's in the dishwasher at the end of the day. Hits go. That's a $1,600 disaster, right? If grandpa did that with your present. That can be a little bit like us with marriage. That can be a little bit like us with marriage. If there really is a creator God who made this world, he made us, he made sex, if he made marriage, then surely that God is the one to look to if you want to know how to use his creation. Now, if you think there is no God, feel free to try and work that stuff out on your own. But the smart thing to do is to listen to the designer, listen to the creator. Read his instruction manual. He's not out to spoil your fun. God's not a buzzkill. When he gives us rules, when he tells us how to do things, it's because he loves us. He's out for your good. When push comes to shove, who are you going to trust? The world and whatever it thinks is right at that moment in history? Or the God who designed sex and marriage? Who are you going to trust? There's the first thing to see tonight. Second thing, marriage exists to show us Jesus' love. This is cool and this is big. Come to Ephesians chapter 5 in your Bibles with me. This is a New Testament part of the Bible, one of the letters from Paul, Ephesians 5. We're going to see some hectic stuff here. In Genesis, we've just seen what marriage is, very briefly. Now we're going to look at, well, what should marriage look like? How should, how should you go about it? How should you live in marriage, right? Um, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Here's some instructions for wives. 
He says, wives, uh, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the saviour. Now, there's a bunch of stuff in there that you might not have caught, and that's all right, but here's the main thing. He's saying, wives should follow the leadership of their husbands in a similar way to the way Christians follow the leadership of Jesus. Now, don't misunderstand what's been said here. Don't, don't miss this. Husbands don't get to boss their wives around and treat them badly. It doesn't mean that husbands become like God to their wives, like Jesus to their wives. It doesn't mean that husbands get to make all the decisions and be in control of everything. It means he's asking wives here to entrust themselves to the loving leadership of their husbands. And to husbands, well, they're the kind of people that you would want to trust because look at what they're supposed to be like in verse 25. He says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's a high bar. Love your wives the way Jesus loved the church. That's huge, okay? If anyone's got a hard job, it is actually the husbands. And the kind of husband that loves like that is not a hard person to trust. And so our marriages are to be modelled on the way Jesus loved the church. So you could say it like this, right? What you could say is, Jesus' love is the model for our marriages. Look at Jesus and you'll have a good idea how to do marriage. But I want us to get something deeper, something bigger going on here in Ephesians. So come down to verse 31 with me. Look at verse 31. Paul's about to quote from Genesis, which we looked at back in Genesis chapter 2. So he quotes it. He says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So that's a quote from Genesis. Now 2,000 years later in the book of Ephesians, Paul's writing it, and he's quoting back into Genesis, and he's saying marriage all the way back then, marriage is actually about what? Look at verse 32. This is a profound mystery, but when I quote that back there, I'm talking about Christ and the church, Jesus and the church. And so first and foremost, it's not that Jesus teaches us about marriage, although he does, that's true, but actually marriage is meant to teach us about Jesus We're meant to learn about Jesus from marriage. It's like a living, breathing illustration of God's love for us in Jesus. Imagine your friend comes up to you like, and they're like, hey, you know those Harry Potter movies? Like, they're they're all right. We had some fun when we saw them. Do you know, it turns out there's this chick called J.K. Rollins, and she's writing like a series of books based on those movies. Isn't that cool? We should check out these books. These books could be pretty good. I like the movies. The books, I presume, are going to be pretty good as well. What's wrong with that? Nothing. Nothing? You're wrong. That's dumb because it's not books based on a movie. It's all about the books and the movies are like a dodgy afterthought. The movies exist because the books are awesome and they were written first and so they made some movies that kind of hacked them up. It's always been about the books. The movies are based off the books. Here's what this means with marriage and Jesus. From the very beginning of time, well before Jesus walked this earth as a man, marriage was designed by God back then to teach us about Jesus, the one to come. 
He made marriage so that you would see how much you are loved by God. Jesus loved us so much that he came and he gave up his life for us. His love is so huge, so central, so massive, so that marriage, as good as it is, is just a picture of God's love in Jesus, a reminder of the greatest love story there ever was, the love that Jesus has for you. That's what marriage exists for. You could spend your whole life chasing some girl or some guy, wishing you had this relationship but you can't, wishing the one you're in is better than it was, whatever. Guys, know this. The God of the universe loves you. You are already loved by him. And so don't get distracted by all the different little relationships in your life and miss this, the love that God has for you. Don't miss out on the greatest relationship you can have. Make make sure you know the awesome security of a relationship with Jesus. Make sure you know God's love and you have the security of being forgiven by, by Jesus. Make sure you don't miss out on that. And one day, if, if you want to get married, make sure that your marriage is about the right thing. If you do get married, make it about the right thing. And so if you become a husband... Love your wife like Jesus loved the church. If you become a wife, entrust yourself to that sort of love. Make your marriage about Jesus. And when you do that, you're going to be pointing to how awesome Jesus' love for the church is. That's a big deal. All right, here's the last thing I want to do tonight. I want us to apply what we've learned over here about marriage... This other kind of crazy topic of dating, okay? So I take it none of you youth-aged people are ready to get married quite yet, but my guess is a bunch of you are wondering about dating and what are you supposed to do with that. And so I want to try and put those two things together. What we learn about marriage, how's that going to teach us about dating? So first of all, what's the connection between marriage and dating? How does that work? Here's the thing, secret, dating was made up pretty recently, about 80 years ago. People made it up. Dating is a social construct, if you want to use those fancy words, right? Um, Before, people just used to get to know each other and get married. And in other cultures in our world right now, people don't need dating. So in some countries, you go to India, get yourself an arranged marriage, you're sorted, you can get married. That'll be fun. There's all sorts of different ways that people go on this journey toward this thing called marriage. Dating is a relatively new thing in the West where we live, made up about 80 years ago. And so what that means is... The Bible doesn't specifically address it. It's not like in Ephesians 7, he's like, when you date, make sure you pay for the movie. That's not in the Bible, right? Because it just wasn't a thing when the Bible was written. But what is in the Bible, particularly the stuff about marriage, well, that can help us think really clearly about this topic of dating. Here's what marriage shows us. You ready? We're not built as humans to spend our lives moving from one relationship to the next, breaking up and breaking hearts, sleeping with this person for a while, moving on, doing it with another person. We're not built as humans for that sort of relationship. That's busted. It's a broken way of doing relationships. You do that, it's going to hurt you, it's going to hurt lots of other people. We're not built for that. The fact that this is going on in our world is the whole reason Taylor Swift is even successful. 
You know, she's really good at making people like, she's empathizing with people. She's like, you had your broken heart? Yeah, me too. Listen to this song. She gets rich off that stuff because our world is busted up over dating. Now, in a culture where the normal way of getting to know someone is through dating and then that might lead to marriage, um, here's what I'd suggest is the place of dating, okay? Here it is. Dating is a helpful way, or one way, to carefully and intentionally get to know someone to figure out whether you want to marry them. You could use dating that way. Now, if you do date, you need to be careful. You've got to be careful. You need to be careful that you don't sin sexually by crossing boundaries with your boyfriend or girlfriend. And we're going to talk about that next week, so heads up for that. But, but whilst being careful, dating is one way to get to know someone and work out whether you want to marry them. It's all right. That's okay. There's how dating and marriage can fit together, right? Here's a second question. If you are going to date, well, then who should you date? The simple answer is date the kind of person you'd want to marry. That's kind of what makes sense. Um, And so that means if you're a Christian, you want to date a Christian. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39, it makes it really clear that Christians should only marry Christians. I think that's a command from God in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 39. And so, if you're not going to marry someone, then don't date them. Date someone you can marry, date a Christian. Uh, And that's not just, it is a command from God, and that's the important thing, but it's a good command. That's really, really good advice for your life. I don't have time to go through all the reasons why that really matters, but it really does. If you want to talk more about that, come talk to me, talk to a leader. Um, It matters, I'll say this, right, I'll say this really quickly. It matters for your future and who you might marry in the future, and God's commanded you who would be a good person to marry. Um, But it also matters because making a bad decision now as a teenager about who you're going to date will seriously uh, mess up your Christian walk. I've seen dozens, if not hundreds, of youth just like you guys over the last 10 years who've walked away from Jesus because of decisions they made at your age about who they'd date. I've seen youth leaders, some, you probably know some of these guys, who've made the same decision. I've watched close friends walk away from Jesus because of a bad decision about who they're going to date. Nothing will drag you away from Jesus quicker than a bad call about who you're going to go out with. So be very careful, even now as a teenager. Don't think that this stuff doesn't matter and maybe when I'm old and serious it will. It matters right now. If you're going to date someone, date a Christian brother or sister in Christ who loves Jesus just as much as you do. And can I say something really quickly to the guys as well? Don't do the Christian box tick thing. So don't be like, all right, I should probably date a Christian. Have you ever been to church? Cool, she's been to church once. You're the prettiest girl I've ever met. Let's date. Um, Guys are really bad at that, seriously. Christian guys are superficial often. And they'll be like, she seemed to vaguely know who Jesus was. I think she's probably a Christian. She's really hot. We're going to go out. You need to tick the box as if that's what matters. Find the person who's going to make you love Jesus more, help you to grow as a Christian, encourage you as a Christian. Girls or guys, do the same. Find a genuine Christian brother or sister who's going to push you on as a Christian. All right, we've got the connection between marriage and dating. 
we know who we should date. Last question, well, when should you start doing it? This old chestnut. All right, how old should you be? Well, there's no magic number, right? There is no magic number about how old you should be when you start dating, and it will maybe be different for different people. Um, I, I don't want to stand up here and make a blanket rule for you guys and say you must be this old to ride the dating roller coaster, right? I want, I want you to use your brains... And I want you to think about this carefully yourselves and work it out and make wise decisions yourselves. But I'll give you a few questions you might be able to ask yourself to help yourself think about this question. How old should you be? When's a good time? First question is this. Are you old enough that marriage is even a possibility for you anytime soon? Are you old enough that it's marriage is a possibility anytime soon? So you might be like, yeah, I want to get married one day, but you're 14. And it's like, cool, that's good, but marriage is still a long way away for you, I hope at least. Um, And so, like I said, the Bible doesn't make rules about this stuff, um, but be smart and maybe a smart thing would be to wait till a little closer to being married. There's one thing, how old are you? Second, um, are you self-controlled enough to be godly in a dating relationship? One thing that almost always comes with the boyfriend-girlfriend thing is the temptation to sin sexually. Not always, but so often. And so don't start a relationship with someone else, particularly someone you care about, if you're bad at controlling yourself. Because what you'll find is you don't actually love that person really well and do what's best for them, but instead you'll actually end up hurting them by causing them to sin and and yourself sinning with them. And so work on your own sexual godliness before you drag another person into your life and and mess it up for them as well. Does that make sense? Work on your own godliness first. Make sure you're in a good place. Number three, here's the last question. It's a really important one. Have you worked out whether you want to actually get married? Should you be a person who gets married? Do you want to get married? See... If you don't know whether you want to get married one day, then it would be a little bit strange to start dating someone, wouldn't it? What would be the point of you know, having a girlfriend or a boyfriend if you had no intention of ever getting married? I just want some company for now. I want someone I can make out with and keep me, I don't know, keep me entertained. Like, if you're a Christian, if that dating relationship isn't headed anywhere, then why would you do it in the first place? If you don't know whether you want to get married or not, not, you don't have to know that I'm going to marry this person before I can start dating them and get to know them, but if you're just not sure you want to get married at all in general, then don't start by dating someone. Start by figuring out the question of what you want to do with your life first. And I want to say, guys, this question of whether you should get married or not is actually a much bigger one than you might realise. Here's what I think goes on in the world. I think for the average teenager out there on the street, not here at Eva Youth, the average teenager, you walk up to them, you're like, hey, 16-year-old, do you want to get married one day? And they're like, I don't care, old man, what are you talking, you know, like, they're like, I don't want to get married, I'm 16. Who even thinks about that? I reckon that's what the average 16-year-old's thinking, right? I think the average Christian here at, Christian teenager here at Eva Youth actually grows up presuming, assuming that they should and will get married, and probably as young as possible, often. Um, But guys, hear this, you all actually have a really important decision to make. All of you have an important decision to make about marriage. Marriage is a really good thing, it's a good gift from God, we've already seen that, but it comes with a huge price tag. 
A single person, an unmarried person, is much freer to serve Jesus with their life than a married person is. That's a fact. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul's got this whole chapter where he's wrestling with the issue of marriage or not, which is better. Um, And at the end of the chapter, verse 38, he pretty much summarizes like this. The person who marries, well, they do right. They haven't sinned, they've done right. But the person who does not marry does even better. One's not sin and the other's good or bad. It's not that. It's not a matter of right or wrong. It's a matter of practically, you are freer to serve the Lord when you're not married. That's a big deal. And so don't just presume you should get married because that seems like what all Christians do. You've got a genuine decision to make. And so work that out before you bother with the whole dating thing. Work out where your life's headed. And guys, it also means this. While you're not married, which is all of you who are youth here tonight, while you're not married, don't waste these years now. Don't waste these years now. Use all your time. Take advantage of the fact that you're not responsible for a family, a wife and kids or a husband and kids right now. Don't waste your teenage years just on a boyfriend or girlfriend. You know, you've got one good for you, but don't waste your whole life on that. Don't make it all about bay, okay? Uh, Don't waste your teenage years feeling sorry for yourself because you don't have a girlfriend or boyfriend yet. Run hard for Jesus now. And then one day when you're ready, after years of following Jesus, whenever that is, you'll be the kind of person who will make a good husband or wife then anyway. So don't make your teenage years now about who am I going to date, who am I going to marry, what do they think of me? Live your life and live it to follow Jesus now. Run hard for Jesus now while you can.